0: Next week, we'll talk about the Israel trip, and then the week after that, we'll start a short series on the various crowns that go along with Holy, uh, with Holy Week and um, with the life of Christ. So today, we're going to look at a topic that um, I guess really is precipitating from our trip to Israel, and, and I just want to start by sharing a couple thoughts on this. Next week, when you hear our group talk about the trip, you'll hear uh, various... Um, comments about two different topics because we visited I don't know if anybody has a a good recollection of how many places we visited while we were gone does anybody have a guess Don you're really good about that yeah yeah so I would say somewhere between 30 and 40 uh, different locations that we visited in 11 days it was a very busy uh, 11 or 12 days that we were there very busy time but one of the things that's interesting, and everybody made these comments. Now, I've been there before, but I kind of expected the same comments because we see those every year. We get them every year. And the comment is this. That everywhere we go, you have one of two different reactions. One is the place is gaudy. It's, it's, it's too churchy. It's too formal. It's too commercialized. It's too dead. And then on the other hand, you have particular places that are very natural. They're very... Um, spiritual, they're very humble, they're very amazing. And those are the ones that leave the greatest impact on most of our groups. And so if you put all of the, the type of places we've gone and all the locations into those two groups, they will all fit. Either they're going to be very high church and very commercialized, or they're going to be very humble and very spiritual. Uh, I, I wish I could explain it better than that, but that's really the best way. So I started thinking uh, uh, actually last night when I went to bed at 7.45 or whatever, um, if you were to say, what, what's the topic tomorrow? I'd say, I have no idea. I just know I need sleep. And so I went to bed very early. Paige went to bed very early. And then I woke up at uh, 2.30. God started talking. I told him I was tired, so he quit. And then I got up at 4.30, and this time he says, you're not going back to bed. So so God and I have been talking since about 2.30 this morning about this topics, And so one of the things was that God was talking to me about, what is the difference between a basilica, a cathedral, a parish, and a shrine? Now, I'm not Catholic. I've thought about calling Bill Corder, but I didn't know if, if he would appreciate the call at 4.30 in the morning. You might have still been up. But uh, he's the only one I know that would have the answers to those questions. Um, as I went through the definitions and started looking up those different uh, nuances of the different buildings, uh, the one that kept standing out was the word shrine. Most of the locations where we went are classified as shrines. A shrine is a place or a building, uh, typically a building, that memorializes a person of holiness, a person of spiritual character, uh, or an event, a location of, of spiritual significance. And so the shrine is constructed on that location to be a, a standing memorial, uh, hopefully forever forever. Of, of the event or the person that took place there or that lived there. And so most of the places we went, I mean, I got tired of hearing it. Uh, this church is may, may or may not be the actual location of where this happened or where this event took place. But we know that this church was built in either the 1st or the 2nd century uh, after Christ by the Byzantines um, or by uh, Hadrian or uh, whoever else. And then by the 600 or 700, it was conquered by uh, Islam. It was replaced by the Crusaders. It was beat down again by Saladin. And, And so all of these churches had a very similar history. They were first constructed right after Christ, to memorialize what he had done, whether it be uh, feeding the 5,000 or, or healing a lame man or uh, healing Peter's mother, whatever it is, these locations were intended to be a lasting memorial of what Jesus did. And I'm telling you, there's a church for everything, except I never have seen one yet, but I'm sure it's there, the church where Jesus sneezed. It's got to be there somewhere, you know. Uh, they're just there, there's the, and they're beautiful churches, they're huge, they're amazing. But after this first building would, would, would be torn down, they would build a second church on the same location. And then later, they would build a third ca- church on the same location. In some cases, up to five or six churches on the same location because they want to memorialize that location. But what's interesting is even though it may be four or five different churches and their residue on that spot, they will still give you a disclaimer. I'm sorry, disclaimer. We still don't know if this is the actual spot. But this is the actual spot of the previous church. So, so one of the things that was kind of frustrating is, is when you go to this, if you've ever been to the church of nativity or the, or the church of the Holy Sepulcher, what you're going to find is a gaudy presence, very commercialized, very commercialized. It's going to be very discouraging to you because you're going to go expecting, I'm going to see the place where Jesus was laid when he was born, and it's going to be holy. And what you're going to find is it's just not. It's consumerized. We waited, I don't know how long, but the line was phenomenal, how long we had to wait to get into that location, just to see the Silver Star where they believed that he was laid. Uh, My back was killing me. I was hurting. I was frustrated. I'm like, could we get over this already and get out of here, you know? Um, But that was the situation we were in, so... God and I were talking about these things all morning, and I'm like, God, you know, it's, it was discouraging a lot of those locations because they're so commercialized. It was like going to a spiritual Disneyland where you, you, you're wrestled together and you're put in this long line, and then you have to, you know, pay your dues uh, for a five-second photo op, and then it's over. One of the things that really stood out to me, and God was bringing this up to me, he said, how would you like to be a pastor in one of those churches? And, well, of course I wouldn't. Uh, but I, I observed the priests that were there and, and I was I was surprised that a priest's job, a priest's job was limited to making sure everybody was quiet in the holy places and making sure everybody's line was moving along to to the place of the ride. And I thought these priests are called by God to be these spiritual angels, these spiritual agents of change, and all they're doing is is rushing or monitoring the cattle as they come and go. It was really interesting. But the thing that God said to me, he impressed upon me is, would I, rather be, would I rather be a shrine of what God has done in my life in the past? Or would I rather be a living testimony, a living sacrifice of what he's doing in my life today and the days to come? And so that's what we talked about And I kept reflecting on the fact that it just seems like there's so many people in the church today, not just this church, every church, so many believers who are just basically walking shrines of a baptism long ago or a spiritual experience long ago, church camp, a weekend retreat, a marriage encounter, or perhaps a vacation Bible school. But so many people are just walking testimonies, walking shrines of what God has done in the past. And it's like they're good with that. They're content with that. And I'm like, heaven forbid, God, I don't ever want to live in the past like that. I don't want to live in what you used to do. I want to be a living reminder, a living testimony of what you're doing today. And, And I started thinking about How sad is it that so many people today don't have anything to share of what God's doing today? Almost as if God is silent these days. And God doesn't do anything special anymore. That God is no longer in the business of bringing people into faith. Or saving marriages. Or or helping people with mental health problems. Or helping people overcome addictions. And so I I just want to provoke you to, to ponder this thought. Are you a walking shrine of what God has done in your past? Or are you a living testimony to what God is doing right now in you and through you for the sake of this dying world? Because I want to share with you, I don't think the world needs more shrines. Because shrines don't provoke people to change. Shrines don't stir people with excitement about what God is capable of doing. I remember going to a church in West Bend, eastern Kentucky. It was in Powell County, a little church of about 14 people. They asked me to speak a revival there uh, for three days because they didn't think they would get people to come more than three days. So I went for three days and preached a revival with about 14 or 15 people. And and when I first got there, I said, tell me the story of the church. Tell me something that you're proud of or thankful for or whatever. And they said, well, there was a time in the 50s that we averaged about 70 or 72. And one time we actually had a baptism. I want to say they had 14 people baptized at one time in, in the creek behind the building. And that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. That's exciting stuff, except for the fact that we were now in 1994. So that was, you know, some 40 years later, but they were still hanging their hat on what happened 40 years previously. And there's so many churches with that kind of testimony. There's so many believers. There's so many Christians with that kind of testimony. God hasn't done anything in me special for 10, 15, 20 years But I know he's with me, and yeah, of course he's with you. But don't you think that he wants to do something amazing in you? And so when we look at this passage in Romans 12, it says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. So what it seems to imply to me anyway is that this is a choice for you. Do you want to be a shrine? That's a choice. You can be a shrine if that's what you're content with. Or you can reverse the trend and you can be a living testimony to what God is capable of doing and what God represents today in a dying world that's messed up. You have the choice. You could do this. And and if you would offer your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice, then he will fill you with his spirit and he will do amazing things in you and through you and for you. And and you will be a living testimony. But look what he says next in verse two. This is not just about uh, committing, this is also about renewal. This is about changing the way we are, the way we function, and the way we do church, the way we live our lives in God's presence. He says in verse two do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. Now, we live in a world, and the pattern is this. That um, you make decisions based on the flesh. You make your decisions based on what you've been taught, what you've experienced, what you know or don't know, what you read in a book. So all of the experiences we're made are based on what we've been taught through the years. But what he's saying is, you you don't want the world to teach you. You don't want the world to teach you about God. You don't want the world to teach you about how you're supposed to behave as a Christian or what kinds of influences you can make in this world as a Christian. You don't want the world to dictate who you are in Christ. Don't let the world dictate that for you. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It means that you have to start thinking differently differently which is a stretch for some of us, because we've been in the flesh, we've been living in, in, in the, the sinful flesh for so long, we don't know anything else. That's all we that's our only reference point is what I've been struggling with for 50 years. And, and so to, to transform us by the renewing of our mind is, is basically speaking Greek in some regards. Because we don't know how to do that. Only thing I know is what I've learned in college, what I've learned from my parents, what I've learned at work. That's all I know. So just submitting to the Lord and saying, I want to be different, isn't good enough. We have to work at this. And the way we become renewed in our mind is by learning how to think like God thinks. Learning how to see people the way God sees them. Learning how to speak the way God speaks. Learning how to love the way God loves. Because this world is messed up. And if you want the world to dictate how you're supposed to love people, then you're going to find a lot of failure and frustration. If you want the world to teach you how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. If you want the world to teach you how to be influential, then you're going to be sadly mistaken. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It all takes place in the head. You have to learn to think differently. And you're not going to know how to how God thinks or how to think differently if you don't know what God thinks. And it's all written on the pages of this book. This is nothing new. You all have access to it. If you want to learn to think like God thinks and just start turning the pages and reading through the words and journaling it and taking notes and praying over it and saying, God, teach me your ways and he will teach you, you know, uh, this is the thing I do with premarital counseling. I always tell couples, how do you know that you guys are in love with each other? How do you know that you're meant to be? And how do you know that your marriage is going to last forever? And usually they he and haul through it because they really don't know how to answer that question. But they'll say something like this. Well, I just know because I love them so much. And and the focus is always on me or I. And that's not marriage. True loving marriage is not about what's in it for me, but it's what can I do for my spouse to make their life better? This is what we learn in the scriptures. When the scriptures say, no greater love has anyone than this to lay down your life for a friend, that's true love. But the Bible teaches us that. So when we're dating, we're thinking to ourselves, all right, do I love this person enough that I would sacrifice my life for them to make their life better? Would I work three jobs so that they can get a college degree? Would I do the dishes, vacuum the floors, and change diapers if it means letting my spouse sleep a couple times? You know, it's all about what can I do for my other, my beloved. That's what love is, and that's what the Bible teaches us. So we have to be transformed and renewed in our minds and our thinking as the Scriptures dictate. Forgiving people is a big one. We We can only be taught how to forgive because of the Scriptures, because if we leave forgiveness up to the wounded person, it will never happen. Because we in the flesh don't think that they deserve it. But we have to renew ourselves and transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind. It's, it's huge. And this is not something to slap you on the back of the knuckles over. It's just something to say, look, if you want to live a different life, you can do this. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some hard work. And I tell you, you're going to be blessed by it if you would just let God do his thing. The locations in Israel that were the most influential, the most blessed, were the ones that have not been commercialized. They're the ones that did not seem to have a consumer mentality. I've heard several people in our group make this comment. Every one of those, those shrines that you go into will have a, an offering box or 10 or 12. They're all scattered through the building, and they want you to put your offerings in. You also have to pay for admission to get into those buildings. But when you go to the garden tomb, which may or not be really where Jesus was buried and raised from the dead, doesn't matter. If you go to the garden tomb, you're going to walk in that place, and you're going to feel this presence of God, and it's going to wrap you in his arms, and it's going to guide you through the whole process. They don't ever ask for a single dime. Isn't that interesting? And when you leave, there will be an offering box, but because no one really highlights it, you're like, you know what? I'm going to give like it's nobody's business because God met me here. He showed me something. And I I say that as a reference just for you personally because if this renewing of the mind and transformation in your body is is going to be effective and influential in this world, then I would encourage you, one, to stay humble always. Don't do it for what's in it for me, but do it what's in it for others. Do it. What can God do through me for the sake of those dying in their sins and for those who are troubled and don't know who the Lord is? What can I do for them? I'm telling you, you will be effective. Uh, there's a passage, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, if I remember right, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives inside of you? You are temples, not shrines, but temples. The temple is the place where you go to worship God. And so when God is inside of us, people could come and they could actually see God in us and actually have a little display of worship right there. Not that they're worshiping us, but they see something holy and righteous in us that makes them want to know the Lord. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it's verse 19, it says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you from whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Interesting phrase, you were bought at a price. See, you're never going to know how much value you have to God until you start to grasp how much God is willing to pay for you. You're never going to value yourself until you can see and understand how deeply God values you. He values you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you that you may have not just eternal life in the hereafter, but a transformed life in the here and now. He wants to be in part of your life. He wants to love the world through you. He wants to love your children through you. He wants to teach people through you. He wants to use your giftedness that he's given you at birth to, to do things in his kingdom for others. That's what he wants to do through you because of the value that you have to him. But we all walk around defeated, we walk around broken, we we have negative thoughts about ourselves all of the time, we have no positive thing to say about ourselves, we hate to look in a mirror because we're afraid we're going to see another blemish, and we forget all the time how deeply God loves us that he would send his son to die for you. That's amazing to me. That transforms me. That renews my mind, and it gives me a little bit better attitude about myself. I know that I jokingly will say, when you say, how are you doing? And I'll say, old, fat, and ugly, right? I just say that because I want to see what kind of response I get out of you. Now, it don't matter if I'm ugly because God made me in his image. So if I'm ugly, he's ugly, right? Um, I'm fat, yes, but I can do something about that. I just choose not to. Um The fact is I'm old and I'm getting older, but some of you are way ahead of me. So I need to keep my mouth shut about that, right? But the fact is that God loves me and he created me just the way I am and he lets his light shine through me. And if you read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, we are pots of clay and he lets his light shine through us. So he gives me my value. I'm valuable to him and then he puts the light of Christ in me which increases my value among men so that he can draw them to himself. It's just crazy how important I am to God and how significant you can be to God as well. It just blows my mind. There was one other passage of Scripture I was going to use, and I completely forgot what it was, which means it's probably not that important. But this is what it's all about. Are you content being a shrine of the past? Or do you want to be a living testimony of who God is and what he's capable of doing in somebody's life who's willing to submit to his care? The world is waiting for models to, to show them what Christ is like, to show them what Christ can do. The world is looking, they're chomping at the bit, they're dying for it. And they just want to have some hope in this world. And if we would just let Christ do his thing through us, I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing. And people will come from thousands of miles away just to see your temple. What a great God we have. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you for just loving us. That's what you do best. That is your identity. That is your purpose. That is everything you represent is love. Help us, Father, to to quit seeing you as a judgmental God who looks down his nose at us and shakes his head in condemnation. That is not who you are. You're a God who loves us so much you would send your son to die for us. Father, help us to start seeing ourselves through your eyes. Help us to see our value in you and how you perceive us. Help us, Father, to be discontented with the way things were in the past. Help us, Lord, to be discontented with the the deadness that has overtaken us over the years. Let us be a new creation for the purpose of this dying world who needs to see a living Christ who is enjoyable and, and attractive and loving. Lord, help us to display this for them. And I pray that you will never let us grow weary, being renewed and transformed Studying and learning, worshiping, and being loved. Father, this world needs to know there's a God who loves them. Let us be the answer to their problem. Let us be the hope in their despair. With your help, Lord, we can do all things. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stay-